Well, if we haven't met, my name is Carlos, and I want to begin by saying happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, and I hope that you had a restful and slow Thanksgiving weekend. Would that describe your experience, restful and slow? Like maybe 23% of the people in the room. That must mean that the rest of us went Black Friday shopping, didn't you, huh? That's what you did, didn't you? No? Well, um, I know it's difficult to have a, uh, it must have been difficult to have a restful and slow if you hit the shops um, and chose not to do what the rest of us did, which spend all weekend in our PJs. How many of you guys did that? Yeah, yeah. Waiting for Cyber Monday, baby, right? Yeah, that's the plan. Well, um, I was thinking about this weekend, and uh, before we get into our Christmas uh, season, our Advent season next week, and I was just thinking about where we're at uh, just, just together and just really thinking for the first time that this weekend is the Spender's National holiday. Isn't it? I mean, it is where when spenders everywhere get to exercise their spiritual gift of spending, right? You have your weekend. And so um, I've heard that there are only two types of shoppers. There are spenders and there are savers. And so where are all my spenders? Can you say, hey, all my spenders say, hey, all my savers say, no, no, oh, wow, overwhelmed. We got a room full of savers. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I want to speak uh, to the savers here. Have you ever noticed how the spenders, they come home celebrating um, how much they've saved as an attempt <laughs> to soothe the savers' concerns? I just realized this is what Ilsian's doing every time she comes back from Costco, right? Just... You're not going to believe how much we saved as she backs up the forklift into the kitchen, right? Like, beep, beep. I mean, when I think about the times we're living in, life has really gotten hard for savers. Life has gotten hard for savers. I know some of us, we looked like this as we were shopping for our Thanksgiving meal. This was our facial expression as the cashier kept ringing and the math kept adding, right? Yeah, can you guys relate? That's what you looked like, just by the way. That's what you looked like. You know, I was thinking, man, forget electronics. Give me some Black Friday deals on milk and diapers. That's what I need. Amen? Amen. All the adults in the room are about to start praising, running down the aisles. I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, here's a statistic for you. In the U.S., the average lifestyle cost is more than twice as it did in 1990. Twice. And it just made me realize Man, as a third grader, what was I doing um, playing tag? I should have been saving for a house, right? I was wasting time. What was I thinking? Well, here's what I want to provide today. I believe that there is good news for savers because spending doesn't have to be painful. Spending doesn't have to be painful. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it doesn't have to be painful, As a matter of fact, Jesus invites us into a life of joyful spending. Say that with me, joyful spending. And that's what I want to explore today. It's a term that I've come up with this week, joyful spending. And so I invite you to go with me to Matthew 6. It's going to be on the screen. Many of you are familiar with this teachings. Uh, this teaching, let's look at it together. Uh, Jesus 
taught this to his disciples, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of us are familiar with this, with this verse, right? It's a pretty popular one. Well, I want to unpack it a little bit, and I, and I want to begin by uh, assuming that Jesus, when he speaks of treasures, he's referring to anything that might have value the most, right? Anything that takes first place. And so those things could be things that make us feel good, give us pleasure, or even meaning and fulfillment in life. So Jesus is talking about this idea of treasures. And another way I've been thinking about it this week is treasure can really be what we spend our money on. What we spend our money on. And that could be very different for different people. And so if you're curious what would be my treasure, then I would encourage you to just simply look at your transaction statement. Or for me, the, the uh, piles and piles of receipts that I'm so determined to keep and never know what to do with, right? Why don't I study those? Well, here's what we know, and here's what we can pull from Jesus' words here in, in Matthew 6 is this. Our spending reflects our values, and our values shape what we treasure. Our spending is a reflection of our values, and what we value begin to shape what we treasure. You guys with me so far? Well, Jesus refers to two types of treasures. The first one is treasures on earth. Uh, This is stuff money can buy. You know, I think about electronics and lattes and Christmas trees and diamonds and Toyota pickups and steak dinners and NFL game tickets for me and my bestie. Uh, The list is simply endless. By the way, I just gave you my Christmas list, so I hope you are writing that down. Do you need me to say it again? And what Jesus teaches us on uh, treasures on earth is something that we already know, but we simply need to be reminded of. And it's this. All earthly treasures have an expiration date. Right? That's how I translate it. And he's not speaking figuratively. Like, literally, he mentions moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. No thing lasts forever. If... Man doesn't take it away, nature will. Hashtag facts, right? Did I get that right? Hashtag facts. And so here's, here's one of the first takeaways I take from Jesus' teaching, and this spending will lead to pain and disappointment when we make temporary things the focus of our spending. And so if you want to take joy out of spending, spend solely on things with expiration dates, right? How many of you have ever bought fruit or bread and it's bad before you can eat it? Isn't that just the worst? Yeah. I don't know why I just brought that up. That added no value. I'm just complaining up here at this point about some bread we recently bought. The second type of treasure is treasure in heaven. What are those? Um, There's so much debate to this, but I want to offer you a definition. It's this. Future rewards for present acts of obedience. 
future rewards for present acts of obedience. It made me think of Costco and how they offer you a credit card that if you spend money on, what happens? At the end of the year, you get what? You guys are all, you're all familiar with rewards. Don't they feel great to get them? Right? Well, the Bible, it's actually full of the mention of these rewards. Um, and what, what they refer to is, is, is the way God's going to respond to those who serve Jesus faithfully in this life. Right? And there's tons of references to that. And so here's what we know about treasures in heaven. They have no expiration date. Isn't that incredible? Why? Because in heaven, nature is at peace and sin has been dealt with. And that's why they last forever. And you know what that makes me think of? Costco's return policy, (laughs) right? How many of you like shopping at Costco? Because you know at any time, for any reason, you can return it over and over and over again. Just kidding. That's not the way the policy works, okay? So this is my PSA. Stop taking advantage of the Costco return policy, right? Well, we all know that even the Costco return policy has limits. But what Jesus is saying about investing in treasures on earth is this. He's saying, invest in the work that I am doing now. And I want to be clear about what that work is. That work involves restoring people back into relationship with him. That's the kind of work that has eternal value and earns us eternal rewards. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. We become joyful spenders when we partner with God to fulfill his mission. Does that make sense? Well, here's what I don't want us to miss, because I know we're a bunch of savers in the room. Jesus is not anti-spending. He's a savior, not a saver, right? Quite the opposite. Jesus actually, in, in teaching us this, he's pointing to the true value of our resources by saying that money can be a tool to impact eternity, he is pro-money. He's saying it has value. There's, there's a quote that I read. Our literal money can be exchanged for things of value to God. And we have a very clear example of this. And that's found in the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Here was this man who was robbed and beaten. And this Good Samaritan not only comes and cares for his wounds, but he puts him up in hotel and says, hey, uh, spend whatever you need to take care of this man. What is, he, what is the Good Samaritan doing? He's using his wealth, he's using his resources to do good. And what does Jesus say at the end of that story? Go and do the same. And so I want to end, uh, not literally, don't, don't get excited, I'm not, I'm not finished yet. I'm like halfway, to, halfway done, guys. Hang in there. You guys doing all right? I want to end Matthew 6 reflection. Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a very famous tweetable verse, right? What is he saying when he says this? Well, my interpretation is simply that our hearts always go where we spend our money. Our hearts always go 
where we spend our money. Our hearts follow our treasures. And so, friends, this is what I want you to consider. If, if your treasure is something that is fleeting or circumstantial, what does that do for your heart if that's where you place it? If our hearts or if my heart is in something that can be taken, destroyed, or lost, what happens to my heart when it does? Do you see the significance? And so consider this quote by Victor Naka. He says, when you have an obsession with material things or your material needs overwhelm you, you then behave like you're not part of God's family. And so it makes me think of a story we read in Luke 15. It's actually a parable that Jesus gives about the, par- the prodigal son. And simply what's happening here is Jesus is describing this son who says to his father, give me my money and get out of my life. If Charlie Joy ever says that, God help her. This son says, give me my money and get out of my life. And what does he do? He goes and he goes to, he goes to Vegas, right? And he, he, spends, uh, he spends all his money in a short amount of time on what? Earthly treasures, things that brought him pleasure and fulfillment in the present. And I realized for the first time, this prodigal son could easily have been named the prodigal spender, Right? And so in a short time, he hits rock bottom, and he only to realize that he was far better off and still could be better off where? The place he left, his father's house. And so this son had to learn the hard way that uh, the blessings that he had an opportunity to access were not things that he could spend on himself. And so how do we respond? Let's get into some application. So Luke gives a slight different version of this teaching um, in one verse. Uh, Luke 12:33, he says this, "Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out." An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. And so when we look at the first part of this verse, it says, sell your possessions and give. And I know that sounds scary, but I understand that to mean leverage your resources to bless those in need. Shane Claiborne, an author of many books, he comments this on that verse This is much more than just downsizing. It is the opposite of envy. It is acting on a desire to provide for others from what you have. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? Acting on a desire to provide for others from what you have. We all just did this when we walked into the auditorium with our student gift bags, which isn't it amazing to see the generosity, the tangible generosity in there? Can we celebrate that? That's amazing. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is asking simply for us to live now like we will in heaven. That's the invitation. 
right? When we follow Jesus, we're simply fast-forwarding fast forwarding our reality to be able to live the way Jesus would want us to live for eternity. And so we see this picture in the first church in Acts chapter 4. We see this verse, this description of the community that the Holy Spirit had just formed. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in, in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. I mean, think about that reality. Think about that statement. To be able to exist in a faith community where generosity is so lavish that every need is met. Would you want to be a part of that? I know I would. And so Jesus, you know, I want to want to tackle this well. So some of us might be thinking, Carlos, it's Black Friday weekend. You're talking about spending. Are you telling me that Jesus is like every big box store asking for my money this weekend? Well, I would say he's definitely not doing that. Jesus is asking for so much more. He's asking for your entire life. He's asking for your complete heart. He's asking that you would love him first and everything else, including your finances, would follow. Amen? And so we see the challenge in this, right? We see the difficulty in Jesus' invitation to trust him holistically, We have another story in Mark 10 of a rich young ruler. Many of you are familiar with that story. I'll recap it. He has a conversation with Jesus where he essentially asks him, hey, what do I have to do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus then begins to talk about the commandments. And this young man happens to believe he has fulfilled all of those commandments. It's almost like he's checking off a list of religious adherences that Jesus first brings up, but he realizes he's still lacking because he says, you know, what am I still lacking? And Jesus, if you want to be perfect, verse verse 21 in Matthew 19 says this, go and sell all you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. And you notice the order. He says, go sell all that you have, knowing that this person had two things against him. Number one, he was rich. Number two, he was young, meaning he had a lot of life opportunity to enjoy what we had. And Jesus invites him to give that up in order to follow him. In other words, in order to be in relationship with him. And I don't think this young rich ruler is unique. I think the same invitation is given to us today, and I understand it to be this. Jesus invites us to rid ourselves of all obstacles that will keep us from him. Did you know that you and I have obstacles that keep us from fully following Jesus and enjoying the life he's called us to? And for some of us, those things are material, 
For others, it's relational, right? It changes uh, person to person. And so here's my first application to Jesus' teaching, and it's the challenge of this, is make the decision, it's, it's a decision empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus by making everything else secondary. Choose him first. Make him your, your first love. And here's the beautiful thing for those of us who've made this decision and experienced the other side of that. What I love about choosing to love Jesus first is it puts us in position to love everyone and everything else better. Did you hear that? So it's not like he's saying, hey, love me, and you're going to really suck at loving anything else. He says, if you love me, you are going to be able to love the world I've created so much better. You're going to be able to see it through the lens of forgiveness and grace and freedom and joy. And that is why today I'm talking about joyful spending. I believe in that description. I believe that following Jesus involves joyful spending. And here's what I want to end with. I want to end with three practical ways you can do that. And before I get into those, I just want to warn you, I'm going to get transparent and personal. And I know you brought your grandma because she's visiting out of town. Um, and so we're just going to get super personal here. And I love that your grandma's here. Welcome, grandma, to Evergreen Christian Center. Yeah? Why am I picking on grandma right now? I need to keep going, right? Well, joyful spending is this. It is planned and spontaneous generosity. Planned and spontaneous generosity. And the first practice or the first value that comes to mind is the tithe. And I know that that is an emotionally charged world, a word. But I, I, I want to start with the tithe, and I want to explain what it means as I understand it. The tithe has to do with a percentage. It means 10%, and it represents the practice of giving 10% of a household income to the church that you call home to the church that you belong to. And I can only describe the way Ilsian and I have practiced this. Because when we first got married, I kid you not, she probably wouldn't have married me unless I had a giving record, right? She was that serious about generosity, right? Um, and so we decided, hey, we are going to be a tithing household. And at the time, we were living in Los Angeles. And so for that, what that meant is we started off by giving 10% of our income to the church. And we continue to do that, and our goal is to grow beyond that 10%. And here's how we do it. We set it up automatically on our bank's bill pay. And what that means, it's planned, it comes out first, and it saves Evergreen 2.2% on transaction fees. <laughs> and we love that, yeah. I love bank, uh, bank pay, that's awesome, right? Now, what I want you to know that this is actually um, a small part of our overall stewardship plan, one that we learned that I describe as 10, 10, 80. What that means is that we have committed to give 10% of our income, save 10%, and live on 
And we learned that um, when, um, when, we, when we took this class called Financial Peace University. That's where I learned it. It's not exclusively to that. But I bring that up because guess what is being offered in January? Financial Peace University. You would think I planned that, right? And I seriously say that. If you are someone who wants to understand the dynamics of good stewardship, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to learn about investing and saving for college, Financial Peace University is the class you need to be in in January, okay? And if you have any questions, talk to me or Ben or Matt or Adam, who are the amazing leaders of that group. Can we give it up for Financial Peace University? So here's, here's just two questions I want to answer about the tithe. Why do we do it? We do it because we believe God has given us literally everything. Every material thing and every unseen thing comes from his hand. Every breath we take comes from his hand. Every ability to work comes from his blessing. And so we see all our finances as his. We're simply stewarding. And so when we give the 10%, we actually use the language of returning. We are returning a portion to God in recognition that he owns 100% of it. Why do we tithe? We also believe in the local church. Ilson and I believe in the local church, and here's what we believe. We believe that the local church can do more than our 10% than we could ever do on our own. I mean, think about it. The local church can make more disciples. They can plan and execute more missions. They can meet far greater needs in our community. They could plan, uh, they can provide care for marriages. They can foster faith in the next generation. The local church can be a witness to the entire county and more. Do you see why I believe in the local church? And lastly, what does this do for us, this practice of the tithe? Well, it, first of all, it gives me peace in knowing that I'm investing in something bigger than myself. It gives me that perspective. And then it chips away at any ex existing greed or materialism still inside my heart. And lastly, it grows my faith because let me tell you, friends, God has never been unfaithful. God has always provided more than enough, not only for the Gomez Lemus household, but for every faith community that I've gone to participate in. So you didn't ask me, but I just told you that is why I tithe, right? And if Evergreen is your home church, I would invite you to prayfully, prayfully consider doing the same. Now, I speak on money knowing that we're living during a time where institutional trust is in, in, institutional distrust is at an all-time high. What do I mean by that? Many of us, uh, or friends or family members, we have major concerns about major institutions like government, uh, the medical field, and organized religion. And so I want to take a moment, I want to speak to those that may have past hurt around this area, meaning you've been lied to, 
you've been manipulated or you have flat out been stolen from. And I know this isn't a maybe because I've sat across some of you and I've heard the horrific stories of the way other faith communities or other groups have hurt and broken your trust. So all I want to say is that I'm sorry that that was not Jesus' heart, that that too makes me angry and that should have never happened. And I understand if you if you're come here and you, you hear a talk like this and you're guarded, you're suspicious, you hesitate to participate, I understand if you need time to heal, we would not rush that. Trust needs to be built. But here's what I also want you to know, that to hold and guard will not produce the healing needed for you to fully participate in what God is doing around you. Here's what I want you to hear, that generosity again will be your surest path of healing, even if it's one step at a time. So I hope you hear my heart in that. And I want to end with a couple more ways. These are tangible ways that we can be joyful spenders. And that's this, that uh, it doesn't end with the tithe. We have plenty of opportunities to give above and beyond. And you hear um, this referred to as offerings or designated giving. And uh, here at Evergreen, as you've already participated in the student big gift bags, we have plenty of opportunities, um, both seasonally and annually. But what I want you to know that annually, there's always an opportunity to give to a benevolence fund or a missions fund. These are designated givens that are givings that are specifically set up so that the money goes to that cause. And so if you have a heart for people in need, then you want to be aware of the benevolence fund. If you have a heart for reaching people in other places and other countries, then you need to know about the missions fund. If you're new to Evergreen, you need to know that every summer there's opportunity to give towards kids camps and youth camps. And every October there's an opportunity to give towards arms. And right now we have the eKids Giving Project that's raising money so that next, year, next year's Mexico Go team could have the funds to fund the house kit, the actual house that's being built. And our kids are participating in that as we speak. So it doesn't end with the tithe, and it doesn't end with the local church. The last point I want to make, and the last thing I want you to encourage you with, is to consider giving to charities. Now, again, this is where we're going into spending season, and so you're going to know that on Tuesday, Giving Tuesday, lots of great nonprofits are going to invite you to partner with them, and I believe that's a good thing. And so I want you to consider this week, what, what's a cause that breaks your heart? What's something that you have a connection with? And what is an organization that is doing fruitful, integrous work around that cause? Man, I want to encourage you to be generous towards that charity. And I want to be transparent again that Ilsen and I, we partner with a few charities and we love getting those reports where we see 
God responding to our financial investment. We love seeing that we are, we are um, helping partner with things that are happening that we, we won't ever hold. Organizations that aren't even in this state. And every year we prayfully consider if we're going to continue to partner with them or whether we're going to add to that list. And so I share this because um, I want you to know that Evergreen is a generous church. And because Evergreen is a generous church, we know that a generous church needs to be led by generous leaders. And so we want to take the forefront of generosity. We want anyone leading at Evergreen to have this value of giving of their time, talent, and treasure simply so that we could stand here and say we are not inviting you into anything that we are not doing ourselves. So follow me as I follow Jesus in joyful spending in this season. And the motivation, and this is where I'll end, the motivation is always love. There's a story of a short man named uh, Zacchaeus in the Bible, right? You remember that in Sunday school, for those of us who grew up in Sunday school? Well, he meets the radical love of Jesus one day, and what does he do? He commits to giving half his wealth to the poor and repaying everyone who he stole from four times the money back. Now, why would Zacchaeus respond that way? Because he experienced the love of Jesus. And so my question for you is, have you experienced the love of Jesus? And if you have, the right way to live is generosity. And we grow in it, and we take small steps, and we prayfully consider what that looks like in our season, but the direction is generosity. Amen? Can I, can I pray with us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. And Lord, each and every one of us, you are calling into your kingdom each and every one of us, you are inviting to be your child, your son, your daughter. Jesus, you came to die for our sins and offer forgiveness. There is no greater love than that. And Lord, as we enter the Christmas season where we celebrate the coming of your son, may our hearts deeply reflect on the love you have for us. And in our reflection, God, I pray that Evergreen would continue to be a generous, joyful, giving church. Not only of our time, not only of our talents, but of our treasures. And so lead us in the way of generosity. Help us to partner with what you are doing now. And let us get excited about the rewards that await us for our present obedience. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone in the room who has questions or is in a place of 
struggle, I pray, God, that you would meet them, that you would speak to them, that you would move them to take steps towards uh, financial health and good stewardship. Show them the way, Lord. And I pray that uh, they would be blessed in this next season. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.